Hi everybody, Hal Rudnick here. The Binge Boys took this last week off, so I ask you to please enjoy this unreleased episode from August 26th, 2021. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge Boys, Binge Boys. Binge boys, binge boys, binge boys, out of S. What's going on? I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on a Zoom call is Lon Harris. So, I, and I didn't mean for this to turn into like a Zoom commercial, but everybody uses that. You know, whatever. That's the age we live in. You always mention that we're on Zoom, and I feel like at this point it's pretty implied. Like I think that I think that the fans get it. We'll update it if we're ever in the same room again, and probably not. Yeah, we live a couple of miles from each other, but that's, you know. And who knows? It may never happen. I haven't seen you in person in, what, years. two years? Several years, <laughs> yeah. Basically since we started this show. Yep. Uh, good to see you. Anything of note? Anything you care to regale us with from the life of Lon? Oh, in my life? No. Nothing happens in my life. I don't do things. Well, uh, then I'll uh, take the opportunity to share a little tidbit. Oh, what happened? I just ate some leftover Thai food. That's it? That was, that was, I mean, I've done things on that level. I've done something that exciting. I thought you meant like, if you know, a, a life event. That's all I got. Was it good Thai food at least? It was pretty good. It was satisfying. It was a good, except, right. oh, okay, here's a violation. Mm-hmm. My, my wife, uh, ordered the Thai food. For those, for the the Hal wife watcher, uh, mention watchers, a minute 30. We got a minute 30 Boom, that early. before a wife mentioned. Yeah, usually we save them for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, tell me if this uh, crosses the line. She, she orders the Thai food, and then, and then we get it. And sometimes we'll have, like, we'll order, like, one chicken dish and one veggie dish, or one chicken dish and one to- tofu dish. Um, sure. Only tofu. No meat. So she got two different Thai dishes, both of them featuring the ingredient tofu. Yes. Yeah, I feel like unless it's a pre-agreed, like, we both love tofu. I like it would, well enough. I'm not some, You at least mix like, it up. And I, and I would say two veggie options I don't think is over the line. Mm-hmm. But two tofu specifically, you'd want to make sure the other person really is a an equivalent tofu fan to yourself. It was like a noodle and tofu and a mixed veggie and tofu. I got I got to be honest, yeah. I'm not like a, like in a soup kind of situation, mm-hmm. totally fine with tofu. And mm-hmm. I've enjoyed tofu. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed tofu in various contexts, but mm-hmm. not like in a Thai food dish would not be my like a veggie Thai food dish I feel like I would be fine with. But throw tofu in there. Eh, just texturally, it's not quite right. I don't think it was an. It, it wasn't a bad textured tofu. It was like a little tougher. And tofu is like nice. It's like a chameleon. It becomes whatever you need it to be. Right. Kinda That's like, why I think like in a soup, tofu could be very good because it just soaks up that broth. You know, like whatever. Yeah, whatever tofu's kind of like uh, the soup is. Is you know, like tofu just takes it on. It you know it it didn't bring down the level of any dish, but it's just you know tofu's kind of like Andy Circus. You know, whatever you put him in, he's going to adapt and become that thing. What? That's not what Andy Serkis does at all. He embodies. He he doesn't just chameleon-like slip into something. He creates it. 
you, you put him, you, you, you say, Andy Serkis, go be an ape. If you yeah. put Andy Serkis an inside a golem, like that doesn't exist. He created if you put, it. it no, if you put him clock. in Lord of the Rings, he'll be, he'll be, he'll be some he'll little, be uh, some creepy little golem. <laughs> if you put him in, if you put him this in Black Panther, good. he'll be a live action guy. I, I if you put him in some jung- not... Jungle Book knockoff, he'll uh, fucking direct it. I don't, I don't think this, this metaphor does Andy Serkis his full credit. I, I really don't. I think that. He's he's more than tofu. He's a commanding flavor. Okay, so you're saying he's like a chili paste. Yeah, I'm saying he right. He's coming in and he's he's the he's the main presence. He's not the oh well, let me let me soak up a little bit of this peanut sauce and I'll blend right in. Who's the yeah. tofu of actors? Uh, who is that? That's a good. That's a good. You know who I would say it's somebody like it's a it's a. It's like a Tony Shalhoub. It's like a guy who's going to seamlessly, or a Stanley Tucci. That guy's going to blend into your ensemble. He's oh, like so just anyone from of, Big Night. Some just, anyone well, yeah, from well, Big Night. Or like, or like a Turturro. Like a guy who's going to like, you could see he's in a lot of movies where like there's eight people in this movie. I think you're really type, I think you're really typecasting these Italian actors. Shalhoub and, is not Italian. Well, he's Italian looking. He's played Italian in things, but I believe he's Middle Eastern. Oh, okay. Tony Shalhoub. Okay. I think you are, like, this is worse than my use of the word bohunks is all I'm saying. Like, the way you're pigeonholing these, um, these, swarthy, these swarthy character actors. I mean, I don't have to be swarthy. A Clancy Brown. There you go. He's not swarthy. All right. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know who you think is the tofu of actors. Uh, anyway, it's time for the news. Here's the news with Lon Harris. Uh, Netflix announced a global fan event coming from Netflix on September 25th. It's called Tudum, T-U-D-U-M, which is the 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 you know the Netflix sound when you start a Netflix show. Oh yeah, you know Law and Order should have a fan event. Uh, uh, it's like dun dun. Dun dun. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know the origin of the of the uh, Netflix sound? Do you know what that is? That bum bum. Do you know where they got that from? No, I don't. I'm going to tell you. It it's from House of Cards. It's uh, Kevin Spacey knocking his ring against his desk oh. from House oh, of Cards. You remember how that was his? Yeah. Uh, that was like his when he wants to command attention. Frank, Frank Underwood, Underwood would, make would a little hit point his ring finger like, on his desk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the origin of the Netflix sound. To dumb. Ah, the proud origin of the Netflix yeah. sound. They don't. For some reason, they don't bring that up as much anymore. I can't imagine what would have happened. Will, will Kevin Spacey himself be there kicking off the event? <laughs> he will. He will not. It's basically like. Netflix is sort of doing their own virtual Comic Con. It's there's going to be panels and trailers and news and announcements and all sorts of things for all kinds of different Netflix shows. Seventy shows and films in all will get promoted in some way on September 25th, uh, including 70. Bridgerton, The Crown, Cobra Kai, Cowboy Bebop, The Witcher, The Sandman, Stranger Things, panels and surprises and treats for all of those shows and more. And it's going to be on. The Netflix YouTube channel plus Netflix's Twitter and Twitch channels. All of them will have different stuff. It's basically if you cover this stuff, it's like a nightmare. They're just going to dump a whole fiscal quarter's worth of updates on one day. Right. Will it be live streaming on actual Netflix? No, not not on Netflix. It's going what? to be on – well, that, if, if you think about it, the branding of Netflix is it's not really live stuff. It's a, it's a library, and I feel like they don't want to have, like, both live and VOD. I feel like they think that would be confusing, right. so they tend to push all of their live event stuff to YouTube. So it will be on the Netflix YouTube channel – 
as opposed to on Netflix. If you go to Netflix, you could still just watch all of your your Netflix shows. Oh, I visit the I visited the Netflix YouTube channel zero times. Uh, that's not true. You were there today because I sent you a trailer that was oh. on the Netflix YouTube channel. So I know for a fact that you were there right before the show. Gosh darn it! No, I didn't. I just. But you're realized. right. Yeah. It's not. It, it's not people going to YouTube and typing in Netflix. That's how people will get there. It's social media. These will be. And it's not just Netflix. The day that this happens, this is what everybody's going to be talking about because they'll they'll announce something from The Witcher and then somebody will see it and retweet it and now you're looking at it whether or not you sought this out. This isn't really for the people who are going to watch it all day. This is for everybody who's just looking at the internet that day will hear some piece of news about a Netflix thing they're interested in. If you're a Netflix stan, Christmas comes September well, uh, yeah. 25th. Well, yeah, September 25th. And I mean, especially like The Witcher's got a new season coming at the end of this year. We've got a new Stranger Things season coming up. Cowboy Bebop's next year. Like those are the big tentpole things they're going to be promoting that day. So look out for new stuff from all but, of those shows. like are we going to get any like super sick reveals like you do at a Comic-Con? Like I know all that shit is coming down the pike. Uh, yeah, I mean I'm assuming there will be new projects we don't know about that will be announced just like on a Comic-Con day there would be, sure. Bright too? Well, yeah, maybe. But they can't They can't tell us about that now or it wouldn't be a surprise yeah, on the day. Yeah, that's why, okay. Like just today gotcha. they, they confirmed Old Guard 2 is going to happen. There will be news like that on the 25th, I'm sure, where they'll Ooh. announce hotly anticipated. Will the gang from Spencer Confidential be back? We'll find out you, on September 25th. You know what? 25th. I'm going to handle that day like I'm at Comic-Con, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to I'm going to dose myself on mushrooms and then I'm just going to take in all the news and yeah. then it's just going to be like find, a fucking kaleidoscope menagerie of Netflixery. Just walk around until you find a pocket of 20 highly stressed nerds and just run into them. That's how that's how I recreate Comic-Con. Just just walk as closely as I can to as many people as I can throughout the day. Preferably if they have not showered recently. Yes, ah, that's the, the best good, way. Ah, the good old days when we could get when we could gather on mass <laughs> without fear of a deadly disease. It's not uh, Comic Con unless I'm fully pressed up against somebody dressed like a character from Gears of War. That's the oh, only yeah. way I know I'm at. <laughs> Discovery Plus announced uh, their first scripted holiday movie, Candy Coated Christmas, which will be produced by the Food Network, and it even is going to feature in a supporting role TV chef and pioneer woman host, Ree Drummond. So, like, Food Network and Discovery looked at the Hallmark Lifetime mm -hmm. world of cable Christmas holiday movies and were like, we want a piece of that even though we make unscripted cooking shows, somehow they did not think of casting Guy Fieri as Santa Claus. What an oversight. Oh. So we're stuck with candy-coated Christmas, uh, but it, it will also going to have tie-in recipes and other, it's going to link up to other Food Network content. So like you could, Here. if you want to make the food you see in candy-coated Christmas, uh, you get what I'm saying. Oh, I love it, and you know what? I can't wait for that to drop, and I'm going to handle it like I handle Comic-Con and get high on shrooms, <laughs> and then I'm going to watch it and try all the recipes. You know, here's here's a line from um, the Guy Fieri uh, version of this uh, uh -huh. where he plays Santa Claus. Kid, 
we ain't going to the North Pole. We're going to Flavortown. Yeah. yeah! He's, I feel like uh, the one thing I know for sure about Guy Fieri's Christmas movie oh, is Oh, good pronunciation, by the way. Thank you. His sleigh is just a convertible that oh, yeah. he's in the back of. <laughs> And he's, he's just talking to Rudolph, like, Rudolph, I think it's time that we head to another diner, drive in and dive. Mm, 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 yeah, mm, yeah, his fingers, yeah. Eating, eating milk and cookies, but with his fingers, licking his fingers after mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. I think, I, think, I think we've got something. There. A real merchandising miracle that uh, the Food yeah. Network and Discovery Plus could hook <laughs> up like this. Could, could, figure, could figure this out. Do you, are, do you, are you familiar with these these? Cable holiday because you you're like you're a Jew like me so they're not, they're not in our it's not for us we don't but yes like listen I'm I'm an American person I right. I, I understand like because I have I have to say I really like I know I, you know I know what they are like I get the reference. yeah you get Candace Cameron and right uh, but I've, I don't think I've ever actually watched Candace one. Cameron Bure. Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually watched one beginning to end that would be considered like a basic cable original Christmas movie. Like, I don't think I've ever watched one to completion. I've seen bits and pieces here and there, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 like, I get the gist. Right, that's how I feel. I, 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 I get, okay. So it's, it's like business, business lady, got to go somewhere over Christmas. You kind of don't want to go. Big, big business deal. There's, mm-hmm. like, a hot guy there, but he's got a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, his, his ranch is failing. You know, mm-hmm. and so she's there to, like, talk him into selling the ranch, but then recognizes the, like, oh, this is a great lifestyle, and I would actually love to be like this, and he shouldn't sell the ranch, and then they fall in love. The end. Like, I get that. Yeah. Also, it's Christmas. I forgot to mention it. The whole thing was great. That was like the ra- Christmas song on the ranch. That would be what that's called. Boom, greenlit. Yeah, I think I, I think we did it. I think we're. I think that's it. Oh hell yeah! Uh, if, if I could uh, tag along on that pitch, I would be very grateful. The- oh, it's called Christmas with extra ranch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, like with a side of ranch. All right. Let's just make sure this uh, this movie isn't too blue cheesy. Uh, oh, boy. That, oh, that was a shoehorn. But yeah, I, I hold these movies in the same esteem that I think of a Lifetime movie. Like I get it. Yeah. Some. I mean, in a lot of cases, they are both. Yeah, a woman is going to be under duress, and then hopefully she well, will it's not end that up. That kind of Lifetime movie. It's not like you know the late she was abused and then escaped and changed her identity and now she's an assassin. It's not that one. I'm just talking about the, that genre. That's its own yeah. Lifetime genre. Yeah. Now, should they combine? Maybe they mix them. Like she's an assassin, a Christmas assassin. Oh, I love the I love the <laughs> idea of the Christmas assassin. <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, they only assassinate people on Christmas, or they assassinate. Christmas figures. Like, if you need a mall Santa killed, you gotta go to a Christmas assassin. Oh, yeah. Let's face it, most mall Santas have a foot in the grave because oh, of diabetes oh. already. They're, uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're all Jews and Asians because Christians don't work on Christmas. So all the Christmas, all the top <laughs> Christmas assassins, it's like, it's like oh, a yeah. Jew and a Chinese guy. <laughs> Dude, this is, a, this is amazing. This is, this is a Comedy Central pilot that I am going to write where it's a, a Jewish guy and an Asian guy and they do assassinations over the Christmas holiday when all the Christian assassins, they go home and be with their families. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to pick up the slack. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Who's, who's doing, who are the hitmen? Who are the holiday hitmen? Holiday hitmen. Holiday hitmen. Wow. Wow. Okay. 
Uh, Travis, cut this out of the episode because I'm going to write and pitch this around town. We've been hearing off and on about NBC executives desperately wanting an office reboot for a while now. And of course, like, why wouldn't they? Not only one of the most iconic and popular TV shows, but it remains one of the most popular shows to rewatch on streaming. One of those hot potatoes that's always being bounced around between Mm -hmm. all the platforms. Um, It's on Peacock now. Mm hmm. So speaking at the Edinburgh TV Festival, NBCU content chief Susan Rovner, she was the latest one to sort of raise this. And she said, they are excited for it. Anytime Greg Daniels, who was the original creator and showrunner of the American version, yes. she says, anytime Greg Daniels wants to do it, NBC is is good to go. The only real uh, holdup right now seems to be that Greg Daniels has two current TV shows that he's already making upload over at Amazon mm-hmm. and Space Force over at Netflix. Oh, I thought Space Force was done. No. No, both Upload and Space Force are coming back for second season. So that's oh, what wow. Daniels is working on right now. Huh. Did you watch Space Force? Uh, I watched two episodes of Space Force and I was like, okay, enough. Yeah. It feels like it is a not not terrible, I would say slightly above average like workplace comedy. Mm-hmm. But in 2021, that's not very exciting to me. Like, I, I I feel like it should be something else, something more. I don't know. It, it seemed like we had that double double whammy of Space Force and uh, Avenue 5, uh, where it was like, oh, uh, it's a bad idea to make a sitcom in space. Yeah, I mean, they both had, like, they both had very different problems, but they right. both had, they both had problems, mm-hmm. I feel like. A- Avenue 5 was so, like, shticky that I couldn't get past how... Like it was, it was amazing that it's Armando Iannucci, the guy who did like Veep, yes. and sick of it, and his stuff is usually so like dry and sophisticated. And I feel oh, like yeah. Death of Stalin in the Loop. Yeah, and I feel like that very dry style really suits him. And trying to be more broad and like zany and sitcommy really did not work at all for him. Yeah, you know, it just felt it just felt really off that one. Anyway, uh, so that's what Greg Daniels is working on, which is why I'm presuming he's not right now. But uh, we'll probably all of this seems to me to be NBC's really chomping at the bit for more office. And we will probably at some point get a new office reboot. What you're telling me is if uh, over at the NBC uh, headquarters, Greg Daniels call, they'll calls, they'll take the call. They are waiting eagerly by the phone. They're 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 laying on their bed with their legs shaking in the air, like watching the phone. <laughs> oh, like like a like a teen on date like night. Like a teen, like a teen in the fifties, yep. waiting for uh, you know her beau. Uh, Greg Daniels, uh, put him through. It's not hard for me to conceive of what a new office would be. It's just also mm-hmm. like I don't understand. Like, how would you even? market as new office other than just here's another show in a workplace that we're pretending is a documentary. I, I mean, I think it's that, but then it exists and maybe it exists in the same universe. Maybe you have a crossover yeah, character. Right. I feel like unless there's bleed, like unless Kelly Kapoor is also in this right. one, I yeah. feel like I don't know how you tie it to the office specifically. Cause that show to me in my mind is so defined by, you know, Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute and mm-hmm. Jim Halpert. And it's like, you know, Pam Beasley. It's about those characters. Yeah. It's not about Dunder Mifflin. Like, who gives a shit? It could be any office. I would love to see uh, The Office come back with uh, The Secret Life of Creed. Creed Bratton just gets yes. his own. He's just it's just all about him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you brought, like, Kevin, all you need is, like, 
Kevin, Creed, and Angela, and it's like, okay, I'm in. Now it's the office. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, like that, you know, you won't need all of them. I'm just saying if you have none of them and it's a totally new cast, it's just going to feel like a new show. I don't know if you're going to get that office nostalgia yeah. that, you're, that, you're, that you're gunning for. Well, yeah, I'm sure it'll have to have the imprint of the first one enough if they're trying to capitalize on I mean, that. I'm assuming it'll also be either Dunder Mifflin or a different paper company, you know, Scranton. Like, they'll have to keep some of the benchmarks or it's totally unrecognizable. Yeah. Uh, Disney ordered a 10-part prequel series based on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, your favorite novel and mine, Jules Ooh, Verne's a hot classic. property. Uh, this would be an origin story, so it's not its not just an adaptation of the book. It's a prequel about the origins of Captain Nemo and his famed submarine. Hal, name that submarine. You know, his famous Captain Nemo's the Nautilus. iconic... The Nautilus. The Nautilus. Very good. Well done. Glad I pulled that one out of my back pocket. Well, well I wanted to see how iconic is the name, because that's the name mm-hmm. of the show, is Nautilus. Oh, gotcha. Nemo's backstory, he's an Indian prince... He was taken capture by the East India Trading Company, but then escaped and assembled this ragtag crew that he takes on these undersea adventures in the Nautilus. Of course, the book famously inspired a 1954 Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. So Mm. I'm assuming it's going to have some, you know, even, even if it's just visual kind of link to that because it's Disney it's Disney back again doing sort of a, a another take. Now, contrary to popular belief, it's not about um, an Atlantis-type civilization under the sea where bowling is the pastime of choice. No, leagues, you know. Like yeah, like 20,000 bowling leagues, I know. A measurement of depth, a measurement of depth. But it, yes, it's, it's like, not bowling leagues. It's like a fathom, although I don't know what a league is compared to a fathom. Um, I mean, I can't fathom what a league is. I in no sense at all. I'm a 42-year-old man, and I could not tell you in any way what a league or a fathom. I know they are measurements of how far down you are in water. Or it could be about a bunch of dorks who live underwater, and uh, they just have innumerable fantasy football leagues. <laughs> that is also a meaning of the term league, but not this. that's not this league. You remember the movie with the squid? This is the famous movie with the giant squid that attacks the submarine, and they created that big prop that they're Disney very proud of. They talk about that, that, that prop all the time. You remember this? Well, I'm familiar with the movie. Very iconic, very iconic movie scene with the giant squid attacking the sub. That's oh, what sure. most people oh, remember. Oh, sure. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from. Mm-hmm. Aside from it just being a novel that they've definitely read. I, I never read this book. I don't, I've never read It's this not book. about 20,000 separate bar trivia teams. Spike Lee is going to recut the final episode of his docuseries, <laughs> NYC Epicenters 9-11 through 20... Uh, I hate this title. Here's the title. Mm. NYC Epicenters 9-11 through 2021 and a half. Like... Like... Like, what? He likes to get so cute. I love Spike Lee. I think he's a I think he's a genius. He's a modern master of the film. But he does I have to say sometimes he gets very precious with the titles. And not like uh based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. I mean like they're always like these what, like black it? black clansmen but there's 3 Ks and this one's capitalized and that one isn't or or making I didn't mind that cuz the guy fucking infiltrated the KKK or making white guys like myself feel self-conscious by saying duh five bloods like 
It's not accurate to say the, it's the five bloods, but then I have to say it. What, you can't uh, mix a little slang into your, uh, into your lexicon there? I personally, Lon, would never say duh instead of the, so when I say it, it feels like I'm making fun of somebody or doing a voice instead of just, oh, the five bloods. Like, I... That's the title. But it's not like you're trying to co-opt uh, African-American vernacular or something. No, it's uh, like I that's am. the title no, of the film. That is what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Well, in that yeah. case, you should feel a little self-conscious. Right. Okay. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that's that's the title. He mm-hmm. that's not the that's thing a long are, that's a long title. It's a long title. That's not the thing people are upset. It's a four part docu series, and his his premise is he's kind of looking at New York in the period between nine eleven and mm-hmm. the pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, sort of like the resiliency of the city. Like no matter what people throw at the city, somehow New York keeps coming back and keeps taking We get knocked down and we get up again. We never sleep. We're a big apple. We love our pizza. Go Yankees. Dust yourself off. Bootstraps. Interviews with hundreds of New Yorkers and sort of taking in this whole period in history, the New York perspective on all these events. And anyway, he's getting a lot of flack. So, So the only the first episode has been released to us, the mm-hmm. regular old public so far. Yeah. The final episode, part four, will air on HBO on this year's September 11th, which is also the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. of actual September 11th. Yes. Uh, so Spike is in a lot of trouble. A lot of, well, he's not in trouble. Uh-oh. A lot of critics have come out and said that the fourth episode that they got to watch, that we, the unwatched masses, have not yet seen. Sure. Uh basically kind of makes the case for 9-11 trutherism, that he features some interviews with members of the group, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. These are the people who said the buildings were falling because of controlled demolition rather than terrorists flying planes into them. Oh, jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. It's the jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams, people, exactly. Loose change. And so to Spike's credit, he does also interview scientists and experts who debunk these theories, Mm. but, and I haven't seen it, so I'm just quoting and, and, and summarizing what people have said. But some of the people who watched this have said that it basically both sides it. Like, he hears everybody out, and then Spike is like, well, there you go, make up your own mind, who knows what happened. And- I mean, one thing's for certain, whether you're uh, wh- whether you're a 9-11 truther, or you or you believe it was totally solely uh, 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 terrorists, one thing's for certain, George W. Bush is a war criminal. Oh, I thought you were going to say George W. Bush did 9-11. Like- oh. Thank God we finally got into the main topic of this podcast. It only yes. took 40-some episodes. <laughs> yes. But we finally come around to Hal and I explaining how Bush did 9-11. No, I, uh, you know, so obviously uh, the, the the 9-11 truther thing is not true. And people are like, listen, Spike should really make it clear. Even if you want to be like, there are people who thought this other thing, you got to make it clear to the people watching that, but that's not true. Terrorists did it with planes. Uh, right. And so he is now, he said a, a, in a note to the media, Spike Lee has said he's going to re-edit the fourth episode and ask everybody to please reserve judgment until they see the final cut, which will air, as I said, on HBO on 9-11. Uh, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, it definitively, it's, uh, those things are not true. Am, am, am oh, I, no. Am I weird? <laughs> am I... Uh, <laughs> Oh, Am I no. weird if I say that's a, tar, that's a really frightening transition? I know, right? I know. <laughs> uh, no, am I weird if I say? But 
I think I, I think there's things we don't know about that day. You're going to keep it that general? There are things we don't know about the exact sequence of events that happened on 9-11? Sure. Is one of those things we don't know that somebody like Wiley Coyote cartoon TNT style like hit a lever inside the building and blew it up? And then they faked the planes hitting? No, that that obviously is not true. What happened on 9-11 was that guys from Saudi Arabia yes. uh, got into some planes and hijacked them. Agreed. And then flew them into the World Trade Center. I think we can agree on that. That's yes. all we got to agree on. That's that's what's his issue. Does here. it mention anything about uh, what the, uh, the Pentagon or any of those? Does he explore that? I'll tell you what it does mention that Israel knew in advance and called all the Jews that morning and were like, stay home from work. That's obviously true. No one's are. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. That <laughs> That's another different conspiracy theory. That, of course, did not happen. What out there makes you think that it didn't happen the way we thought? They, it worked. They were completely successful. They got everything they wanted out of it. Oh, no. Listen, I'm, I'm not a truther, but I just— Thank uh, you. Okay. I'm glad we could I'm glad we could agree. Truther. I'm not trying to truth it up over here. Like, listen— You don't care about truth at all. You hate no, truth. No. Actually, I consider the truth my enemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like constantly lying about everything. Uh, I love to fib. I just love committed, to Just committed. Just a fib. pathological liar. If there's one thing, folks, that you should know about Hal Ruddick, it is that he's a pathological liar. A, B, C— Always be fibbing. Let's go. <laughs> okay. well, I had you watch two trailers. I sent you over some trailers. Let's yes, talk about those. yes. I liked the, one. The other one left me kind of like, what? Oh, uh, boy. I'm going to yell at you. Uh, the first one is Maya and the Three. This is an epic nine-episode animated series from Jorge Gutierrez. He's the animator behind Book of Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is inspired by— Wait, what's Book of Life? Book of Life was an animated stop-motion film. It came out before Coco, but as it is also Dia de los Muertos-themed, it's often sort of, I feel like, unfairly lumped in with Coco, even though it was a delightful movie on its own, right? Guillermo del Toro, uh, executive produced. Oh, tremendous. I I, um, I remember Coco, but I don't remember yeah. Book of Life. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's very good. Uh, you know, sort of uh, similarly inspired by Mexican... And Central American folklore. Very cool. Uh, and so is this. This uh, the uh, Maya and the Three, rooted in Central and South American myths and legends. Yeah. Zoe Saldana voices a warrior princess on a quest to recruit some legendary fighters mm-hmm. to help her defeat a group of angry gods and save the world. Check out this voice cast. Stephanie Beatriz, Kate Del Castillo, Gael Garcia Bernal, Gabriel Iglesias, Diego oh. Luna, Wyclef Jean, Cheech Marin, Alfred Molina. It keeps going and going and going. Tons of people in this. Oh, yeah. Veritable who's who. Uh... You know Kate Del Castillo? You know what her claim to fame is? She's a Mexican actress. Oh, uh, what, what is her claim to fame? In the States, we know her for doing something that is not related to acting. She uh, created the Moderna uh, vaccine. <laughs> that's, that's Dolly Parton. That's the okay. one who invented the Moderna vaccine. Uh, no, Kate Del Castillo, she's the one who introduced Sean Penn to El Chapo. Oh, she is the Mexican yes, actress who yes. arranged Sean Penn's oh, jungle meeting with uh, drug lord El Chapo. Amazing. I watched this trailer. I have one issue with it. I didn't realize it was a uh, nine-episode series. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a movie after watching the trailer. Jorge Gutierrez, the creator, is describing it as he doesn't think of it as a series. He's saying it's like a, it's a it's like a series of films. Like he's thinking of each of these nine episodes as its own sort of movie. I don't know how long they're all going to be. 
But it, it's definitely a sweeping, epic kind of narrative. It looks it looks super rad, though. The animation looks very, just yeah, like, beauti- I, I beautiful, agree. like, a lot of beautiful colors. And that, just like, um, the, the depth of field with just like the, uh, like, you have like the flatter colors, but then you have just like these neons and things. It was it was a pretty cool trailer. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it also has that, that thing that um, we're so used to, because so many of the films that, have been made. It's about like animated films and, and family films and, and these kinds of, you know, fairy tales or whatever. It's always in this, it, it's always in a European context. I mean, that's what, that's the fairy tales we all know. Mm-hmm. And that's so many, so many of the Disney movies or whatever, they're always set in that kind of context. And it's so cool to see that same approach, but a guy looking at, you know, the Aztec world and the Maya world and the Incan world and mm-hmm. these these Central and South American traditions and the old architecture, st- that world, but in the same mode of like a Disney film or, you know, some sort of like a kid, DreamWorks kind of kids movie. And that's Absolutely. what this sort of felt like. It felt like taking a lot of the things that we're used to from all of those other kinds of stories and just like, what if one of them was in Mexico? And like, that's really cool. A hundred percent. There's so many rich, there's so many rich traditions uh, of uh, storytelling and just uh, the lore. So I absolutely agree. Also, it's, it did remind me, I mean, totally different uh, property, and but uh, the, like a Mulan aspect uh, in as much as um, this uh, princess who is uh, wants to be a warrior, and uh, so it definitely uh, had, which is not a bad thing uh, at all. It looks really cool. Yeah. And then the, the second trailer we watched. We also watched The Power of the Dog. This is the new film from Jane Campion, the great director Jane Campion, her first feature. She did that show Top of the Lake, that Sundance show with Elizabeth uh-huh. uh, Moss. But she's not. This is her first feature since 2009's Bright Star. Of course, mm-hmm. in the cut, the piano, lots of great Jane Campion films. Uh, this one's set in 1925. Benedict Cumberbatch stars as a charismatic rancher who runs his business through a combination of fear and awe. The description says, and <laughs> his brother, who's played by Jesse Plemons, brings his new wife and her son, who are Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith McPhee, to live with him on the ranch. And it is about the tension of these family members all kind of coming together. Oh, real-life couple, Jesse Plemons yes, and Kirsten Yes, real-life couple, Dunst. Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. I don't believe we've seen them on screen together since uh, Fargo season two. Oh, yeah. That was that was where they met. They met making Fargo season two. Amazing. Um, a little uh, binge boys get to do a little, uh, little uh, cute couple alert. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> you know what? It felt first, I don't know, I, I just didn't get a good sense of this from this trailer. It felt like... Well, it's a tease. It's just a yeah, tease. Yeah, it was just a tease. I, like, I was waiting for a gun to go off. I, I felt like I was like, oh, there may be gunplay. I don't know the story that well. I love some good gunplay in a Western. <laughs> My inkling would be while there may be some gunplay, uh, it's probably more about the simmering emotional right. tension rather than them all shooting at each other. I was getting a real sh- a real Shane vibe. Shane. Uh, from- Yes, it looked like these, um, like the, these, like rustlers or something were like teasing this kid, and then Benedict Cumberbatch was going to um, pull like an Unforgiven and like go after them. My my sense is that it's less westerny than you're thinking, and it is more like. 
Cumberbatch is this kind of lone wolf, solitary guy. Mm-hmm. He's not used to having family around, especially like a, a younger kid or a woman. And that at first he's going to be very prickly, and then eventually he will it, he'll discover the you know like the 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 joys of family, the joys of. of Close relationships and Jane Campion's Western Christmas for the Hallmark Channel, <laughs> right? And then uh, you know a lady from the city who works for a big developer is going to come to town. She's played by Denise Richards, and she's going to try to buy out the property. But then she's going to be like, you know what? I'm tired of the rat race of the big city. I like the country out here. This is where I belong. And then at the end, I think they're going to get together. I think there's, oh, wow, oh, my God. A barn full of Christmas. Uh, Denise Richards in A Barn Full of Christmas. I think Jane Campion going to knock this one out of the park. This is this is a crowd pleaser for sure. I feel like Jane Campion, she really, uh, like, got us, she, she, she wet our appetites by giving us some full frontal Harvey Keitel in the piano. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 we need another image that will resonate like that. You're looking for some Jesse Plemons full frontal from this film. I mean, it could happen. I'm not here to say, I'm not going to say it's not. Show us the lemons, Plemons. I'm surprised you didn't go, you know, she also directed Holy Smoke, in which I believe uh, Kate Winslet gives us some 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 full frontal. I believe Kate Winslet oh, goes, okay. goes All right. I mean. Surprised you didn't go there. You know, ladies, uh, like, full frontal nudity has been in vogue for a long time, but Jane Campion really kind of pushed the bar by showing us a little, uh, showing us the junk, showing us the... The Suicide Squad, just two weeks ago, uh, there, there was some dong in there. That wasn't enough to satisfy you? That was a little peak, like the guy that got killed. We got a little, we got a little taste of some village dong. A little taste of village dong. White Lotus yeah. gave us a, a, a real. That's true. White Lotus also had some dong. That's right. It's been a big year. Big year for TV dongs. A big year in dongs. <laughs> welcome to. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, that that could be our our yearly award show on uh, on Binge Boys. The it's dongies. Just, it's the dongies, and it's just about all the dongs we saw on TV yeah. and film that year. Best dong, worst dong, best supporting dong. There's only going to be like two or three dongs. Like we probably already seen the year in dongs. I mean, I think we'll have to real. I mean, we'll have to uh, step up our our watching game to find every dong. Oh, um, yeah. what what what. Uh, uh, industry had some dong. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Annette. I thought briefly it might happen, but he's got shorts on under that robe. Yep, yep. Reminis- reminiscence. Uh, I almost a dong, but yeah. No. Let's uh, let, let, let's 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 jump in. Let's jump into the reviews because we're we're short on time. I know we got we got, you got a hard out. Here. Uh, yeah, coming up, uh, we will be talking about Annette on Amazon Prime. As always happens with Hal, when we start talking about dongs, he gets a hard out. It's just what happens. Oh, I'm going to leave that one alone, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, so you and I uh, both watched uh, this. Uh, this it, it's, it's musical. It's, it's performance arty. It's Annette, and it's on Amazon Prime. It's basically like an opera, I, I, like a musical romantic drama, I guess you would say. But it is basically like watching an opera. So They're singing the whole time. You know what? This is this was not good. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say that it it hurt me. It made me angry, There's, and then I didn't want to watch it anymore. But I watched the whole blessed thing. It's two. It's like two hours and twenty minutes. Too. It's very long. Yes, it so is. So here's 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 what I think is going on. Very cool. There's a lot of cool, interesting stuff. The guy who directed this. Leo Carax is a 
brilliant director. He made a film in 2012 that I, I urge all of you to see called Holy Motors. A lot of his films are these kinds of meta explorations of filmmaking, of mm -hmm. storytelling, of the nature of performance. Holy Motors is, it's it's a, a man gets into a limousine and he's driven around to different locations and then he keeps getting out of the limousine and when he gets to his new destination, he's in like a different film. So one time he goes and he shows up at, in the, the car and he does a musical number and then gets back in the car and then he goes to make a scene from like a computer high budget action movie and then he gets back in the car and he goes to make this like weird horror film and so mm -hmm. it's sort of about the life of an actor I mean, they're always ambiguous and, it's however you want to read this one this film had some grand themes to it like I like it could yeah and I think this one is really interesting there was a good idea in there um, especially about the exploration of fame and living under a microscope and what that does to people it's very interesting too about it's about you know like performance and it's about two performers in love Adam Driver plays a stand-up comedian Marion Cotillard plays an opera singer. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are different kinds of performances, but we see both of them perform, and then we see them carry those performances into their home life, and all the ways that at home inspires their work, and their work inspires their life at home, and how even when they're at home with each other, it's still a performance. And then you bring in Annette. They have a daughter who is played almost through the entire film by a puppet, like a marionette. Yes. the daughter. And, and that too, it's like, well, because it's a perform she's like she's a puppet it, it, it's all even their home life when they're off stage is still an opera a performance and, I, and all of those ideas are really interesting and fun and smart and there's kind of there's a brilliance to it there's a, a, a long sequence where they're at sea and the boat and the the way that the waves are done in the background it's not supposed to look real it kind of looks like you're in a theater watching an opera mm -hmm. and this is like stagecraft designed to like look like the thing that's happening and it's it's awesome. There's a core of good ideas here, but what Lon uh, has not mentioned is that it's all sung. It is all sung, and the music is discordant. It's not the songs aren't even that. What it's like sung dialogue. We're, we're kind of burying the lead, which is all the music and the songs were written by the band Sparks, which is having this huge year. Yeah, they're having a real moment. Edgar Wright just did a movie about how great they are. They're this '80s new wave band. Did he produce it or direct it? Uh, the the he Sparks directed doc. Edgar Wright directed that Sparks documentary. Gotcha. Yeah, and I didn't see that. As of yet. I didn't because I knew I did not like this band. <laughs> I'm not very familiar with Sparks. I'm not um, a, 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 a record store uh, guy who uh, totally went down the Sparks rabbit hole. But this movie made me dislike Sparks. Yeah, I don't, they're not good. It reminds me of, imagine if you took like one fifth of a talking head song and you just repeated it over and over again. And not even the best one fifth, like not the hook one fifth like a random one-fifth. And then you just repeated that one part over and over again. So the part where he's like, you may find yourself in another part of the world. Like if you just did that. So mm -hmm. the whole song is like, you may find yourself in another part of the world. You may find yourself in another part of the world. You may find yourself. Like, and it's just that over and over yelling with like loud synth. And it's like, that's not a song. I don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> 
the music in this, it's not, I mean, I take it that Sparks is kind of like new wavy rock and roll. It's that sound. I mean, Devo, Talking Heads. Yeah, that's not the music in this movie. It's very operatic and sweeping, but it's not well done. It's not well sung. The songs aren't, don't feel well crafted. Some of the songs in this do kind of feel like Sparks. Like, like there's the, the, like it just feels like they took one line or one line of dialogue or one idea. There's literally a part where uh, a character gets arrested. I don't want to spoil it. A character mm-hmm. gets arrested. And right. we cut to them in a police station. And all the police are singing, we are the police. We just have a few questions. We are the police. We just have a few questions. We are the police. We just have a few questions. We are the police. And it's just like, I I, I guess that it, it kind of does have like a little bit of a synthy new wavy sound, but like, I'll, that's not a song. It's this, not catchy. I don't like it. It's not clever because you're just repeating the same thing no. over and over again. It just, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, anxiety this movie feels, and off-putting. This movie feels like a performance art, uh, like almost one-person show kind of vibe. Like it really brought me back to uh, Emma Stone's one-woman show in La La Land and the Landlord's one-man show from Big Lebowski. Those are the vibes of the performance in this movie. It's just the dance. He's just doing his cycle. Yes, exactly. This movie is so off-putting and... D- discordant. It's very hard to watch. Yeah, the music and the songs make what I think was otherwise a very interesting and compelling movie into something that's really like annoying and almost hard to watch at times, honestly. Like Cats like. Well, no, I mean, Cats is terrible, but but Cats was conceptually like, I don't think there's a nugget of, there were no scenes in Cats where I was like, oh man, if Andrew Lloyd Webber had written a better song, this would be great. Like, it's just terrifying and nightmarish, and I don't think Annette is any of those things. I just think it's like, if any other band had written the music, I probably would really like it. Like, if Smash Mouth had written all the Annette songs, I'd be like, you're an all-star. Get your game on, Adam Driver. Go play. I mean, they should have uh, Age of Rock or Moulin Rouged it and taken existing songs. I don't know. Literally any, like, get Rob Thomas and Santana to do all of the songs. Yeah, it would have been smooth. That might <laughs> would that would have made it more smooth. So, what a smooth transition that would have been. But it, it No, just, I really think that. I think if you had placed Sparks with people who were writing songs that I enjoyed listening to, I would have really liked this. I like basically everything else. It suffers from Adam Driver plays a comedian and like nothing he does is remotely funny. But that's part of it. That's that's that's, yeah, that's but purposeful. It, that's part of it. You're not you're not supposed to be enjoying their the comedy in the opera right. that they're presenting. That's for the public that exists in their movie. We're we're seeing it from their perspective and they don't enjoy their own performances. Yeah, we're getting like an inner like an a combination of real life and inner monologue. Yes. Yes, we're we're seeing the performances from in their brain. So I don't mm-hmm. I, I that I, I I don't think it would make sense if he just went out there and did like a good set of comedy. True, true, but it was just like it wasn't even. I think it would if the, if he was singing a song I liked on stage, I would have been like into it. I just didn't because I was like, this isn't a song. This is just people yelling. Why did you become a comedian? For the money? Why did you become a comedian? 
For yeah. the fame? Like, that's not a song. I don't know what that is. That's rhythmic, ch- you're chanting. It's rhythmic yeah, it, chanting. No, it, it's it's performance art. It's the, it's the landlord from Big Lebowski. That's dancing. That's not performance art. That is a man dancing. Performance art can be good. Some performance art is great. A man dancing can be performance art, Lon. All right. I don't want to argue with that. Sure. Listen, I've lived in L.A. for 20 years. I've seen a few one-person shows. (laughs) You've been invited to one of every kind of terrible performance. (laughs) Yes. Adam Driver, not a great singer. I... But uh, wow, cut! Looking, looking good in it. Like he's got the. Oh, he looks listen. like a Marvel character in this. Oh yeah, he's listen. No, I'm no denying that Adam Driver's a beefcake. Also, but I mean, he could have like jumped. But this is not that Kylo Ren where he's just like super top heavy and kind of weird looking. Like he looks like he's about to play Star Lord in this. L- listen, he's he's been he's been cutting weight. And... He, he looks like he was like doing that Wolverine workout or something. <laughs> uh, would you say he's a beautiful boy? No, I would never say that. That's a how. That's a how Rudnick original. Uh, I'm 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 going to keep that for Val. Uh, yeah, Annette. It's on Amazon Prime. I, I mean, maybe you could give it a hate watch. There were times where it really made me feel like I was losing my mind. Like I was like I was losing my grip on reality. There's a part where they're there. It's a montage of them fly through various airports. They're on a world tour. Yes, and they're they're yelling. They are yelling into the camera over and over again. We are traveling around the world. We are traveling around the world. And I was like, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna jump out a window. I don't I don't even know. It was like at that point, even turning off Amazon Prime, I like forgot was an option. I was like, this is just my life now. Adam Someone Driver's, help. Adam Driver and Simon Helberg are just yelling in my face that they're traveling around the world. But I, I'm gonna end on a positive note. There is a scene with Simon Helberg where he is he is delivering this is not sung. He is delivering a spoken monologue to the camera while he's conducting an orchestra and the camera's spinning around him. And it's all timed so that when the camera reaches a certain point in its spin, he has to stop speaking and conduct the music. And the timing and the performance is friggin' amazing. Like, it's a fascinating, amazing, beautifully acted scene but in this movie that's full of this incredibly annoying shout Yeah, there's a music. core of something here, and there are things that make me want to like it, like, you know, Adam Driver going down on Marion Cotillard and picking up his head and singing and then going back down on her yeah. uh, um, while they are engaging in um, in sexual situations. And, uh, th- like, th- that's, th- that's, ni- that's a nice idea, but just, man, <laughs> this like thing. I like that part, folks. They really put it. I, it was just, yeah, I thought that was just kind of neat. But yeah, I think they really put the nose into the tarmac on this one. Uh, Annette, also, I got, I kept getting it confused. I kept wanting to call it Annabelle after the doll. Yeah, but there the is evil. a doll. There different is a doll puppet. in this. Different puppet. Different, slightly different more, puppet. Slightly more evil. Uh, slightly, slightly Only more evil. Only just a smidge. Yes. Um, if you want to go a little out of your mind and um, like and facepalm a bunch of times, Annette is on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. HBO Max delivered to us Reminiscence, starring Hugh Jackman and Thandaway Newton. And this, uh, a little bit of a... Um, I'm also ve- divided on this one as well. Yeah, a little like bit of a vexing, uh, confusing sci-fi uh, thriller. I don't think it was that confusing. I just think it's not... Satisfy. It's set yeah. in a brilliant. I loved the world. This is set. The in world was kind of cool. A near future version of Miami, where the seas have have risen to the point that the outer part of the city is now submerged or partially submerged. And then, as you get inland or to the mountains, like the richer people live on more and more solid 
uh, land and they've sort of taken over and pushed poor people as close to being on the water or even underwater in some mm-hmm. cases as possible. And the design of the city and the how deep Lisa, Lisa Joy, who is uh, the uh, co-creator of Westworld, she wrote and directed this. And she put a lot of thought into how this city would work and all the various like neighborhoods and the economy of it and how the corruption worked and everything. And that stuff is friggin' cool as shit. I really loved it. I loved the way it looked. And just the idea of, like, setting a noir movie in this, like, ruined, post-apocalyptic, sunken, near future, I thought was really cool. But the mystery that Hugh Jackman is solving is boring. The the mystery is boring, but I also, like, I'll uh, double down on saying it was slightly confusing because he, uh, he, uh, what's, is it Rebecca Ferguson? Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, uh, is uh, his love interest. You know, she's literally like the femme fatale who... Yeah, very film noir. ...the who comes yep. into his office and, like, puts him on a new case, whatever. Absolutely, very double indemnity. And so she disappears and he has to track her down. And the mystery that unfolds, it's like it doesn't become very clear and then there's not... There's not a lot of there there, and some of the stuff is almost laughable, like the these memory. So one of the tropes in this, one of the things they do is you can go back and live in your memories for brief glimpses of time. Right. The idea was this technology that was created originally for interrogation, where they can record your memory and put you back into it, and then somebody can like watch your memory in like this device that's like as a, as a hologram or as a projection. And so uh, people now use it because everything sucks and is ruined and everybody's miserable to like relive the glory days of their past. And, and Hugh Jackman uses it to help people find things they've lost or figure things out that they don't remember or what have you. He goes on just this, uh, this roundabout uh, fool's errand to try to find his uh, this lady love, lady yeah. love, and it, it unfolds, and uh, and every you know, and and things uh, you know figure themselves out, and it's just it's not very engrossing. I didn't find like she's trying to do like a Chinatown long goodbye sort of thing where mm-hmm. it's this it's this one case, this this disappearance, but then it ends up touching all sorts of things about the city. You know, like how in Chinatown, he's solving this murder, but then eventually it becomes about the water and who's getting, who owns the water and the farmland. And it interacts with a lot of LA history and corruption. Yeah. And that's what this is also trying to do. And the ideas are all there, but yeah, the execution, I just don't feel like she came up with a mystery story that's compelling enough to support this movie. Like, you laid it out there, but as you're watching the movie, the character's motivations are not that compelling and right. and not that clear like so the uh the you know the uh power brokers who run the town and who are the you know land the, the barons, fat the land called. barons the fat cats yeah that like it's not that clear like what exactly did they do and who are well, they and, and think about you've you know Chinatown right you've yeah yeah so think about when you meet John Houston as Noah Cross he's the mm-hmm. he's the the land baron yes. of Chinatown and he's he's got that like you may think you know what's going on Mr. Gitz but believe me you don't you know like mm-hmm. that threatening 
He's menacing and we're yes. scared of him. And that carries you through, even though he's not really in the rest of the movie. Yeah. That carries you through. You want to see Jake get his, get this guy. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a presence like that in this movie. There's nobody that we're attached to in terms of this case. It's just Hugh Jackman going down this dark road, this kind of, you know, Sam Spade, sort of Philip Marlowe type investigation. But... Yeah, it just it just feels like the mystery needed a few more passes to make it more engrossing. It just feels a little by the numbers. Like, like Big Sleep is confusing, too. Like, Maltese Falcon is confusing. I don't think it so much matters if they're confusing. It's if you if you care. Like, if you you yes. want to find out what happened, you want these people to be okay or to get their just desserts. And especially, Maltese Falcon's a great example because the characters they're meeting are also colorful. Sidney mm-hmm. Greenstreet and Peter Lorre, these great character actors... It's fun. And, and even you mentioned Big Lebowski, another great example of a movie that's playing by these same rules in this same kind of world. Mm-hmm. But who's he meeting? He's meeting Julia, Julia Moore as Maude Lebowski or Jackie Treehorn, you know, Ben mm-hmm. Gazzara, the chief of police of Malibu, like these these big, colorful characters. And this one is so subdued. Everyone's kind of so miserable. I don't really feel like we get that kind of a colorful ensemble where you invest. Absolutely. And then there are moments that are laughable and there are some fight scenes that I, I don't know if you uh, took notice of this, but I thought some of the fight scenes were poorly choreographed. Like um, Hugh Jackman gets in a fight with this dude and um, the dude has a knife and Hugh Jackman's unarmed for much of it. And Hugh Jackman just keeps blocking the guy's knife hand. I, I agree that it's not really that well done, but it's also like, you don't need it. Like some of that stuff felt like they're just, there was a note on some level. They're like, oh, this could use an action beat. And like, I get it because it is a little slow and it is, it's not as compelling, but it's because you needed it to be a more colorful, eccentric mystery and ensemble. And as then opposed when it's to, so- because I want to see somebody like try to knife Hugh Jackman. But, and it's, and, and I'll say this because it's, it is confusing at first, but then when it's revealed, it's like, oh, it's oddly simple. It's like an oddly simple story. I completely agree, and I think you're getting to my biggest issue with it, which yeah. is just that it's the the mystery itself is just not that compelling. Like, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a is a great movie in part because of the the tune stuff and like we remember the effects and it's funny and and you know Bob Hoskins, but it's also a really great mystery. Like mm-hmm. that was originally that plot was written to be Chinatown too. They were going to do a follow up to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. It was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Cloverleaf and the red cars and the freeway, like that's real. And then it ended up becoming Roger Rabbit. And like, that's what this is missing is like a really interesting, intriguing, surprising through line for Hugh Jackman to solve. Yes, yes. And and something that really sucks you in and puts you on the edge of your seat. But I love, I would watch a whole like HBO Max series set in this sunken Miami. Like, that's almost yeah, what no, this should be is the, like. The wor- a whole show taking in all the different strata of society in sunken Miami would be friggin' great. Yeah, no, I I gotta agree with you on that, Alon. The, the art design of this world deserves to be so lauded. Cool. Man, it's really great. It's really awesome. One of my big pet peeves that I didn't mention, what was the movie that we talked about um, recently? It was either a movie or a show that does the same thing where it's like we're showing these memories and the memories are perfectly filmed from every angle. But 
I hate that trope. I hate like when someone can see into your memories and your memory, it's not just this first person thing. We get to see you and the whole world like it's been a five camera shoot. I thought that was funny that um, because I don't care about like it's a flashback, whatever. But like in the movie, they have somebody go like Rebecca Ferguson says to Hugh Jackman, like, that doesn't make sense that your machine is showing memories from a third-person camera perspective, wouldn't all you remember? And he's got an explanation where he's like, oh, but when you think about, remember a scene in your life, and by the end, you're watching yourself, and it's like, no, I'm not. I never remember myself. Yeah. I never have a memory where I'm picturing me in a scenario. It's always from my... I only ever see the world from my POV. Why would that be different when I remember things? Exactly. It wouldn't. It wouldn't, Lisa Joy. God damn it. Check and mate, Hugh Jackman. And I'll tell you one thing, Lon. I'm never again going to reminisce about watching Reminiscence. That's it. This so, is the last time. I do one more thing I want to mention. Uh, yes. I think it's very interesting because she, oh, Lisa Joy, married to Jonathan Nolan, the co-creator of Westworld. They created Westworld mm-hmm. together. This feels in some ways, not. Uh, this was not touched by a Nolan. This is not a Nolan <laughs> film. And yet- it does feel Nolan-y, doesn't it? Like A little bit. This would be like if you and your brother made movies and then your wife made a movie and you were like, do I detect a, a, a hint of Rudnick in this stew? <laughs> uh, it, there, uh, there is like a hint of Inception here. There's definitely more than a dash, I think, of a Nolan. A whiff this. of Nolan. There's some Nolan. And uh, and it makes sense that uh, she is uh, a writer or creator and director of, on West Westworld because uh, um, Thandaway Newton and uh, Angela Safarian. Yes, uh, we got oh, a few. Yeah, we got a few familiar Westworld faces popping up. Yeah. Uh, so Reminiscence is on HBO Max if you are so inclined. And then we also watched uh, uh, new to VOD. The Green Knight, A twenty four fair. I liked this, but mm, I didn't love it. Lon, I loved the beginning and I loved the end, but there was a up and down in between. I I really liked it. It's 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 an interesting take on the poem. Have you read the poem, Sir Gowan and the Green Knight? Are you familiar with the origin story of this? Yes, I, I crossed paths with it, I believe. I read um, it in college, in, and yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I remembered enough to like look it up and refresh my memory. But mm-hmm. it, 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 it basically takes this this sort of medieval chivalric poem that's a little bit hard to parse today. We don't we don't really have this notion of chivalry like a knight would have had in the Middle Ages in England today. And our idea of what, when we say chivalry, we think of like holding the door for a lady. And like, that's not what, it was this whole complicated code of conduct for knights. And it was, you know, baked into a lot of cultural stuff that we just don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think their way of making this story sort of relatable was to just kind of throw a lot of that stuff out and make it like a coming of age story. So now it's about much more conventional ideas of like figuring out what kind of person you want to be. And like the first, you know, like it's, it's a story about this guy discovering that his actions really can make an impact on the world. And then thinking about, well, what kind of a per, what, what do I want my actions to do? Like what kind of a person do I want to be? And like the nature of courage and bravery and that sort of stuff. And I think as far as that goes, it, it works pretty well. Like I thought it's an interesting take. Yeah, I thought Dev Patel was wonderful in this. Dev Patel's like, great. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good. Uh, I think Sean Harris is that actor's name who plays King Arthur. He's also mm-hmm. the 
He's the main bad guy from like the the yeah Sean Harris. He's also the main bad guy from like the recent Mission Impossible's. Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. he's fantastic, and he really does. He's got like a there's something like regal about like there's you a buy him as a kid. Yeah, there's like a restrained elegance because you could tell yeah. he's in the winter of his years, right. and um, but he has this continence the way he carries himself. There absolutely, yeah. and then um, his he's married to he's married to the woman who breastfed her kid for a little too long. In yeah, Game Liza of Aaron from Game of Thrones. That actress plays his wife. Well, I mean, Guinevere, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Oh, Arthur and Guinevere. Yeah. Right. Uh, makes sense. It's a fantastic journey of just um, of of truth and nobility and being uh, true to your word and discover and a, a young man growing up finding what it means to be a man to be a man of one's word. So it deals with some you know some big broad interesting topics it and I think it looks really cool like it's in it a does. it's in like a fantasy King Arthur version of England but but not the you know not the very like colorful cartoonish one of like dragons or whatever but right. like a creepy otherworldly surreal sort of almost like a horror film version in some at some point. I hesitate to use this, but just like a sprinkling of like a midsummer kind of vibe uh around the edges. There's a creepy scariness to like the forest and the And that night, the green knight himself is sick as hell. Like that's yeah. a like I really enjoyed that character. You know, voiced by uh, Ralph Ineson who is uh Chris Finch from the UK office. Oh, oh yeah, Finchy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Finch. He's got that real deep voice. That yeah, he always dropped by and they'd like, they'd uh, yeah. really bro it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the beginning is stunning. It's just, I'm like, damn, I am so on board. I could not be more on board. The journey is a little bit meandering. I did well, that, like. That's not in the poem. That's, that's interesting that you would say that. The mm-hmm. poem opens with the knight showing up at Christmas and making his deal about the, mm-hmm. you, I'll, I'll, you chop off my head, I'll chop off your head, one for one. And then he leaves, and the poem literally just goes, a year passed. And then Gowan went to the Green Knight's castle. And when Gowan got there, like it, it immediately goes to him arriving, and the Joel Edgerton stuff kind of picks up the poem. Gotcha. Although that, they change a lot about that too. There's a bunch of stuff when you get to Joel Edgerton's castle in the film mm-hmm. that he's got another game that he wants to play. This was a big thing in the Middle Ages in a lot of their art and poetry was this idea of uh, an elaborate game. They didn't Shall have, we play a game? They didn't have a lot going on. There wasn't like, even books were pretty, like monks had to like write out a book by hand. Yes. So you wouldn't even really have a book. Like ri- very rich people maybe would have a book or two. Like there's even a scene where uh, uh, Alicia Wikander brags that she wrote some of the books that are in her library. I didn't understand the duality of the uh, Alicia Vikander. It plays into these these ideas of of games, and and there's a not only does Lowry David Lowry who wrote directed this sort of mm-hmm. play that in you know in the way that it's in the poem, but he adds this level of Sarita Chowdhury plays uh, Deb Patel's mother, Sir Gawain's mother, who we're told is some sort of a magic user or a witch yes. of some kind, mm-hmm. and. There are hints that this entire movie is an elaborate game that she has set up to, like, prove her son's worth or move him up in the ranks or whatever. So it's like games within games within games, and everybody's kind of 
toying with one another. I feel like that might be revealed to us. Um, he has a little uh, companion along the way. Right, yes, yes. And, 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 and there's always, it's all of these levels of, well, is this person, how am I interacting with them and the tension of how do I respond and this is a test and how, you know, like you're always navigating whether or not everything you're in is a game. If everybody's being fully serious and face value about who they are and what they want. He has an encounter with a with a spirit at one point uh, mm-hmm. that is also has a level of gamesmanship to it. Like, I need you to do this and then you can do this. And, and I, I liked how it interacted with the sort of medieval aspect of it. But it's not a it's not at all a direct adaptation. Like the, 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 the stuff that happens in Joel Edgerton's castle, there's no, there's no HJ scene in the original poem. <laughs> that would be a little too, too hot for TV in the, a little too, a little too ribble. Yeah. In the 12th century, weren't a lot of vivid HJ descriptions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, maybe, yeah, you get the saucy, the sauciest you'd get might be uh, the, the Canterbury tales. But, um, I mean, they would I, get pretty saucy. They, they, yeah. they definitely would. It, it, was, it was a bawdy time. Indeed. Um, I enjoyed uh, Barry uh, Keegan, Keoghan, uh mm-hmm. showing up. He, he's one of, I mean, you, you might know him if uh, if you're a fan of Killing of a Sacred Deer. He's, yeah, the, he's spa- the kid who eats the, spaghetti. The spaghetti kid. He's also going to be in the, he's uh, going to be in the Eternals he's and some other stuff Eternals, coming up. Yeah. But um, big fan of uh, that guy since uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, but this is, yeah, absolutely worth watching. And I, it's, at, even though I felt like the journey meandered, the end of this film is brilliant, and it it really was a satisfying ending. I thought, and not conclu- completely conclusive, but so satisfying because it's more or less there. But it sets something up. It takes you on a rollicking, a little bit hit and miss. The implication is how the poem ends as well. So I yeah. think that yeah, well, that's what we're supposed to take. Yeah, but um, I, I really loved how they played that out at the end. It's like you they kind of gave you the best of both worlds. You know what I mean? So the Green Knight, it's available on VOD. Absolutely worth watching. Beautiful. Uh, Dev, Dev Patel is great. It's a twenty dollar rental right now, but give it a few more weeks, and that'll probably come down to five, six bucks. There you go. And it is the one film today that I do not regret <laughs> having watched uh, that we talked about. Uh, baby Annette, baby oh Annette, baby Annette. <laughs> Thank you for that, Lon. <laughs> Thank you also to Owl Nation. Hoot hoot, everybody. How? Uh, why did you become a comedian? For the money? Sorry, I'll stop. For the I'll fame. Stop now. I'll stop now. Uh, thank you to no, that's not why I thank you to Starburn. Oh, that was a pretty good Adam Driver. Thank you to Starburn's Audio. Thank you to Travis Reeves, our producer, and uh, thank you to Jason K for rocking us into the show. Lon Harris. Uh, Tell them where they can find you. We are traveling around the world. No, I'm, it's, oh I'm, in, I'm on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the very best place to find me and keep up with all the stuff I'm working on. I also have a new podcast. It's called Garmin Shosia. That's a Twin Peaks reference, everybody. Uh, that's me and uh, Video Drew herself, Drew Grant. And uh, we just have a Google Doc where we put stuff we want to talk about in it, and then we talk about it. So... That is available. It's coming to Apple. Hal, you and I have had a history with this. Sometimes it takes the new podcast a few weeks to pop up in that Apple directory. They can be a little finicky. We're working on that now, but it's in. It's on Anchor. It's in Spotify. It's on all the other big podcast destinations. So 
take a look for that. That sounds like a good time. Check it out, everybody. And uh, you can find me at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you twitch at all, you can check out twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick this Saturday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check out Tournament of Nerds, our fun comedy debate show, pop culture, a lot of nonsense. Lon has been on it before. Hopefully, uh, you'll join us again soon. I've Lon. never competed, though. I've only just Oh, would you be interested in competing? I absolutely would be interested in competing. Yeah, let me know. Oh, I'll- hell yeah. Um, careful what you... Careful what you wish for. I'll compete as a as a character. Oh, that would be gotta, super I rad. I would love a, to. I gotta I'd think of to who I who I should play. Awesome. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys.